This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. If you've ever played the party games Werewolf or Mafia, you know what the new reality competition series The Traitors is all about. There's a big group of contestants, some of whom are secretly working to murder the other players before those other players find them out. But your home version probably didn't take place in a remote Scottish castle, and half of your fellow players probably weren't reality TV veterans from shows like Survivor, The Bachelor, and The Real Housewives, and it probably wasn't all hosted by a slyly sinister Alan Cumming in a natty succession of bold tweeds and tartans. I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about the traitors on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me today is our fellow pal co-host, Stephen Thompson. Hey, Stephen. Hello, Glenn. Hey, let's slap on some tam shanters and get right to it. <laughs> on the traitors, 20 contestants are sequestered in a grand Scottish castle. Half of them have previously competed on reality shows like Survivor, Big Brother, The Bachelor, and The Olympics, I guess we're calling a reality show now, because Ryan Lochte's there, too. He is a reality TV veteran, Glenn. Oh, okay, see. He was on Celebrity Big Brother. You didn't watch? And he was on What Would Ryan Lochte Do? (laughs) Okay, these are all things I didn't know. The other half are regular Joe and Jane Lunchpails from Anytown, USA. (laughs) Three contestants are selected to act as traitors over the course of the series. They'll be working together in secret to eliminate, or as host Alan Cumming likes to say, to murder the rest of the contestants, called The Faithfuls. During the day, the contestants work together to do missions around the estate, earning cash for the money pot. At the end of the day, the contestants gather to vote on which person they think is a traitor and banish them from the game. After that happens and everyone has gone to bed, the three traitors gather to decide which faithful they will murder in the dark of night. If at the end of the game, the remaining faithfuls have found and eliminated all three traitors, they'll split the money pot. But if even one trader is left standing, then the traders take all the money up to 250,000 bucks for themselves. All 10 episodes of The Traders are streaming on Peacock, so we're going to split our conversation into two parts. First, our general sentiments, including who the three traders are who were selected in the very first episode. And then after a break, we'll dive into spoiler territory, including the finale, in more detail. Come back to us later if you want to watch the series first. But let me start with you, Stephen. What would you think? I loved this show. I mainlined all 10 episodes of this show in a span of less than 24 hours. I really could not mash that next episode button enough. And among the reasons for this one, I love a good, well-structured elimination-based reality competition. I watch Survivor. I watch The Amazing Race. I even, for my sins, often watch Big Brother. I love kind of the structure of taking a pool of dum-dums and whittling them down to a winner. This show works for me on every level. It's an exciting competition. It is based on strategy. There are interesting interpersonal dynamics. But above all else, this show gets the tone just right, which is it takes itself very seriously in a way that doesn't take itself seriously at all. And part of the key to that is the wonderful Alan Cumming, who makes an absolute meal of every word he says. As darkness falls, the faithful are tucked up in bed awaiting their fate. To sleep, to sleep, perchance to die. Every time he's on screen, I'm delighted. And when was the last time 
anyone has ever said that about the host of a reality competition show other than yeah. maybe Phil Kogan on The Amazing Race. When Jeff Probst pops up on Survivor to people like, oh, there's Jeff Probst. But here, I actually was like, it's Alan Cumming. Look at that jacket. I just dug this show so much. I could watch 40 more seasons of this show, and I hope I get to. Yeah. I mean, Alan Cumming, as you're right, is the secret sauce here. He's not the bland, broy probst, and he's not a cipher like Julie Chen, and he's not an empath like Tim Gunn. <laughs> he's actually closer, I think, to like Christian Siriano era mm. runway. He, there's a distance there, and it will be maintained. Thank you very much. <laughs> and it, he is chewing through that 19th century architecture, and he's leaning into kind of local eccentric, mm -hmm. right? Landed gentry with a secret meets Quentin Crisp. This place is less bed and breakfast, more deathbed and breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> and I am like a less butch Agatha Christie in a fabulous outfit. As much as he makes a meal of every line of dialogue he speaks, he puts the equivalent amount of energy into total indifference mm -hmm. toward the contestants. And I love that. Yeah. But again, the looks. Let's talk about the looks. Because <laughs> when he comes down the stairs for breakfast in every show, in every episode, that is the look reveal. That's the fit reveal. That is RuPaul stepping out to the main stage. That is Heidi coming out from behind the curtain. That is Vanna. He's giving Vanna. There's a moment <laughs> when he reaches the bottom of the stairs that he kind of looks at the camera and waggles his eyebrows. That's it. Love it. That's all I need. Linda. Where do you come down? Well, I did not have high hopes for this show when I read about it because the selection of previous reality show people includes a lot of people I find very tiresome and not people I need to watch in lots of different settings. You got mm -hmm. Brandy Glanville from The Real Housewives, Kyle from Summer House, Stephanie LaGrosa from Survivor, who's kind of been through a bunch of rounds of things, Rachel Riley, who's been on Big Brother and The Amazing Race and some other stuff. But I was absolutely shocked because I love this, too. And I wrote about this for our newsletter. You can find mm -hmm. what I wrote at NPR. The one thing I will highlight is that I think this is a really good example of the distinction between a show being silly and a show being stupid. Mm -hmm. And when I say silly here, what I'm talking about is a certain self-aware being in on the joke quality. Mm -hmm. That is how this show is. That is how a certain number of reality shows are. However... You know, when I say stupid, what I mean is there's kind of no use of wit, there's no use of strategy, there's no use of real kind of personality, there's no opportunity to admire anybody's skills. Yeah. And it is difficult to make a show that is silly but not stupid. You can make a lot that are stupid but not silly, like The Bachelor. You can make a lot that are not stupid or silly, like Top Chef. You can make ones that are stupid and silly, like The Real Housewives. But this is that really tricky, silly but not stupid mm -hmm. spot. I think Alan Cumming is sort of maybe the poster child of, of silly but not stupid, <laughs> and therefore really perfectly chosen for this. I just loved it. I thought it was so entertaining. Okay, man, 2023 is a year of change for me. I'm out here, I'm, I'm watching rom-coms, um, <laughs> I'm watching reality TV. Change, not growth. <laughs> Let's be clear. But this is exactly the kind of show I would normally loathe. Because for me, it's like the, if I'm going to watch reality TV, there must be a measurable objective skill involved. Top Chef, Runway, Drag Race, that's the holy trinity for me. Shows where people are just sniping at each other or stabbing each other in the back or plotting against each other in like Survivor or Big Brother. Or uh, in the case of Housewives, as you so wonderfully put it once, Stephen, where people are just sitting around waiting for an apology. Right. Find that profoundly unpleasant. Can't imagine why people watch this. But I checked this show out, and I alerted y'all to this show because the UK version aired in December in the UK. Different contestants, different hosts, same missions, same castle. 
And it was all over UK Twitter. It became a phenomenon over there in a way. It's all anyone talked about. It was on BBC One. So I was watching the show and my arms were crossed. And everyone was just being perfectly venal, I think is the word, to each other. So I'm sitting there with Faust and I'm watching this. And Christian, who's like this kind of doofus van life influencer, um, is one of the original traders. And he's just talking way too much. And I turn to Faust and I say, this guy's talking way too much. He's acting like an idiot. And at that moment... Sari pops up on the screen in a confessional saying, why is Christian talking so much? He's acting like an idiot. And it was like, <gasps> you know. <laughs> and I'm not surprised, Glenn, because Stephen and I are both big fans of Sari. She's yes. a survivor veteran. She's played several times. She's sort of known as the smartest person who's never won Survivor. A lot of the names are floating around, but Christian will go out of his way to do things that would eventually put heat on us. I don't know what he might say. All these people were brand new to me, but there's something about her as the voice of reason and articulating what you're thinking at home, which is very tough to do because they are like completely at sea. They do not know what anybody else is thinking. Did I stumble into the appeal of these shows? I mean, one thing you stumbled into is that Sari Fields is a national treasure. Okay. (laughs) She is my favorite Survivor player of all time. And one thing that I love about her, and I think she's the best Survivor player, period, even though she's never won. I think she kind of got jobbed out of a win at least once or twice. She is one of the most talented players of this kind of game. And one of her gifts is that she's very economical in her movements. And it's Mm -hmm. really interesting to watch her play because you see, you mentioned Christian. Christian is a guy who like kept making unnecessary moves. He kept kind of like, get a load of this. And you see reality competition contestants overplay their hand all the time, making moves for the sake of moves. And one thing about Sari is she's extremely subtle. She's extremely intuitive. She's extremely observant. And yet, at the same time, to me, she's never boring. She has interesting observations about everything. She seems like a warm and empathetic person. You see her occasionally taking time to be a human being to other people. So I find her so fun to watch even though she is not flashy. It's a really interesting dynamic. And I went into this show mostly as a Sari Fields fan. Yeah. And I Mm -hmm. came out of it continuing to be a Sari Fields fan. Yeah. One of the things that's tricky about Survivor is that because of the way they do the voting at the end, it is a real disadvantage to be too likable because Mm -hmm. people will vote off somebody close to the end who they're afraid is going to beat them Mm -hmm. in votes. So... In this show, you don't really have a reason to go after people based on whether they're likable or not. In fact, because the producers are the ones who originally set up who the traitors are, right? It's Sari, it's Christian, and it's Cody, who's a former winner of Big Brother. You really don't have any motive to decide, I'm going to vote for or against this person based on the fact that I like them or I don't like them or I think they're trustworthy or they're not trustworthy. People talk like that. But what makes you a traitor in this game is at the beginning, Alan Cumming tapped you on the shoulder and said, you're a traitor. So there's not really anything to hold against people, and it doesn't have that buried survivor problem of voting off people who are nice. That also is one of my complaints about this show. As soon as you hear there are traitors involved, you think, okay, this is like the mole. Uh, But you shouldn't think that because, A, it's a U.K. setting, and so it's more the hedgehog. But (laughs) the show is 
to the mole as Columbo is to murder, she wrote. Like Columbo, like Poker Face, which we'll be talking about soon. It is a process show. It's a how catch him. We know who the traitors are from the jump, and we see them playing out. We see them making decisions and making all kinds of decisions. So what's missing here is strategy. On the mole, if you're not the mole, it pays to act shady, to right. throw suspicion your way, so that people think you're the mole and proceed from that assumption and get the questions wrong in the exam and, and knock themselves out of the game. So during the challenges on the mole, it's fun to try to figure out if somebody beefs it because they're sabotaging the mission or they're just hopelessly inept. And because both faithful and traders here are trying to build the money pot, dividing the competitors into teams to complete a challenge has no real point. I mean, the shield, I guess they get a shield, which they could possibly save themselves from a murder. But how do you play this game? You can be observant all day and have no idea who the traitor is and shady behavior, like Kate in this case is one of the contestants and she is a faithful, but she, she's being petty and spiteful in so many different ways, but there's no real repercussions there. So how do you play this game? Okay. So you hit on my two kind of minor complaints about this game. One is a short-term issue. One is a long-term issue. The short-term complaint for me is I didn't necessarily find the challenges terribly interesting. Sometimes they were kind of inventive and engrossing enough not to want to fast forward through them, but they didn't for me hold the power of the other scenes in the show in part because of the stakes that you mentioned, Glenn. They're building up a money pot. They can win up to $250,000 based on how much money they win in these challenges. For me, the biggest issue of this show is a structural one where as they repeat this formula over and over again, I think you're going to see an issue where if a trader or traders win at the end, they have won because of superior strategy. And you will have a satisfying outcome because they have successfully tricked everyone. If faithfuls win, they win because they were non-threatening, because they were naive, because they, they stuck around, they weren't eliminated because they weren't a threat. And so if faithfuls win, they didn't win because of some kind of superior strategy. And so my fear is that you're going to get some very watery outcomes as all the masterminds knock each other out of the game, leaving the final to be the a battle of the mids. Mm. I am excited to talk about strategy. I want to do it when we get to the spoiler section. So I'm going to hold my strategy thoughts. <laughs> okay, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get into our spoiler discussion. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Welcome back. Uh, let's get into it. Here's what's happened. Okay, so originally the traders were Christian, Suri, and Cody. Cody gets booted. They replace Cody with Ari, who agrees to be a uh, trader. Ari then, from The Bachelor. Ari from The Bachelor, apparently. <laughs> Christian gets booted. So this finale, at the fire of truth, standing around the fire of truth, are Ari, a trader, Andy, a faithful, Quentin, a faithful, and Suri, a traitor. If they unanimously decide to end it and there are no traitors in the mix, then they will split the pot. But we know that there are two traitors in the mix. So what they can also do is vote to keep going and eliminate one more person or one by one. And so Suri is sitting there and she knows that Quentin and Andy, bless their little 
Deer in the Headlights Hearts, are convinced that she's a faithful. So Ari, Andy, and Quentin vote to end the game, but Suri votes to keep going and eliminate one more person. And then explain this to me, guys. Then Ari decides to bend a creme himself and quit the game. Why? The only thing I can think of is that Ari believes that it is a foregone conclusion mm-hmm. that because of the closeness that Suri has with Andy and Quentin, that he is going to be voted out anyway. And therefore, he decides to just step out. But I do think that is the weirdest part of the finale mm-hmm. and the part that I, I mean, I, I think if that's all it is, then I wish he had just kind of let it play out. Yeah. But some people really don't like to be voted out of things. Some people really like to be like, you can't fire me, I quit (laughs) a little bit. Like I said, if that's all it is, I wish you'd let it play out. But that's the only thing I know of. Yeah, I had a similar assumption. But I also did sit there slightly like, is he sitting there worried that he's actually going to give something away that he shouldn't give away? Because ultimately, Mm. then you're going to have this debate where Suri having kind of in effect indirectly pointed a finger at Ari, mm-hmm. Ari is going to kind of have to indirectly point a finger back at Sari. And Ari knows that Sari's a traitor. Sari knows that Ari's a traitor. But they would have to argue against each other in this kind of weird sideways way where they don't give it up. And so it plays out a little oddly. I agree that I would have liked to have seen it play out. It feels anticlimactic and awkward. And then I kind of sat there like, are Quentin and Andy not thinking Sari knows he's a traitor. How would she know he's a traitor? Mm-hmm. That should have outed Sari. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, I, I kept thinking, like, dude, if you know you're going to lose, just let it play out. But he he did not. So it's there at the end. It is just uh, Andy, Quentin, and Sari. And Andy and Quentin believe it's just the three of them faithfuls, and they're going to split the money. And the looks on their faces, they are not just counting that money. They are investing in real estate. They are planning <laughs> The group vacations that the three of them are going to take together with their families. And when Sari finally reveals that she's the traitor, we all become Bart, just pausing the tape just when Ralph Wiggum's heart <laughs> breaks because, man, the look on their faces. Yeah, it's true. This is where I want to talk a little bit about strategy because Sari, first of all, no matter what her closeness was with Andy and Quentin, that's a risk at the end for her to say, I want to keep going rather than just splitting the money with Ari. Mm -hmm. And Sari has spoken many times, going back to when she was on Survivor, about the fact that her regular day job is that she's a nurse. She always talks about having a family to take care of. She's always wanted that money for her family. So she wanted the 250 and not the 125. And so one piece of strategy is that kind of risk. But I think if you look back over the course of the game, where I think you can see a lot of deployment of strategies, what you have to do if you're a trader is you have to know exactly when to direct suspicion away from yourself and when to just kind of go along with what other people think. Because what you saw with Christian, who was eliminated, and Cody, who was eliminated, who were both traitors, Mm -hmm. they were doing a little too much bob and weave, try to make people think you're definitely, definitely not a traitor, which of course makes people start to think like, he seems like a traitor. Mm-hmm. And one thing that you saw play out in some of these round tables, which is what they call the the elimination kind of ceremonies, is that if you try to direct attention to somebody else and you're wrong and they vote the person off and the person goes and stands in the circle of truth and says, actually, I'm a faithful, therefore the elimination was quote unquote wrong. The person who directed 
everybody to that person, everybody starts to go, oh, well, you were trying to fool us because you're a traitor. In other words, mm-hmm. if I say vote out Stephen and it turns out Stephen was a faithful the whole time, people Which say I was well, <laughs> people start to say, like, well, why did you want us to vote out Stephen? Why were you trying to point us in the wrong direction? So you see these this difference between playing actively and playing kind of more passively. And I think if you accept that this is all above board, which I basically do, that all these people are genuinely trying to win this game and that it is roughly as it appears, even though personality wise, they're obviously playing to the camera. Then I think what you see is that Sari finds that middle ground where she's assertive, but she doesn't draw attention to herself. She also picks exactly the right moment to flip on Cody and Christian, because one of the things that you can do is if you're a traitor, but one of the other traitors is starting to be a suspect, you got to throw in and you got to also go along with that and vote that person out because otherwise you're going to draw attention to yourself. You do not, as a traitor, want to be the one person who didn't vote against somebody who turns out to be a traitor because, again, it's going to draw attention to you. There are some very careful calculations in terms of how much maneuvering to do, and it's very tricky to suss out how it plays to be somebody like Kate. And this is Kate, who is a chief stew on Below Deck. That's where I knew her from. And she has a very kind of purposely obnoxious personality in some ways. And that's sort of how she chooses to play this. If she were a traitor, maybe that's how she would play. If she were faithful, maybe that's also how she would play. So it's really interesting. They don't know how to read that because some of them assume that that means she's a traitor, but she keeps standing there and saying, I'm a faithful, I'm a faithful. So that's that's sort of my strategy spiel. Well, and I think the show coming down to the three people that it comes down to speaks to the point I made earlier about one of the tricky things about the imbalance of strategy in this game. Sari clearly played a brilliant game and, quote-unquote, deserved to win based on the quality of her gameplay. Had it turned out differently and the winners had been Quentin and Andy... Both of whom were wrong consistently. Both of whom were... (laughs) And vocally. ...were completely wrong constantly and vocally didn't necessarily always seem to even know what was going on. Andy stuck around to the end because they were the one person everyone knew couldn't possibly be a traitor based on the way they moved through the game. I found them lovely. I found them so likable. I I wanted them to win money at the end, but they didn't play a good game. Yeah, but, but to get to that point, you have to get through all of the eliminations where you're not chosen. You manage to stay off the radar of people trying to vote people out. You also have managed not to get murdered, meaning you have not attracted the attention of the traitors to yourself. To some degree, it's self-proving like Survivor is in that if you win the game, you deserved to win the game because mm-hmm. you did what you needed to do to avoid getting thrown out, which is the only the only thing. And if it had turned out differently, that would have meant that one way or another, yeah. they were on to Sari and Ari. That's the only way they would have won. So, you know, you don't get to that point unless you do something right, which is vote out all the traitors, you know? I, I suppose the disconnect between behavior and outcome here is still bugging me a little bit. There is a Calvinist predetermination quality here where the traitors are picked at the beginning and the traitors are the traitors and the faithful are the faithful. And I don't know. I mean, you made, you made some great points there, Linda, about how strategy can work in this game, but I I agree with Steven. It's squishy. I'm going to tell you, though, even knowing Suri as I do, I've watched Suri multiple seasons of Survivor. I consider myself to have a firm grip of who she is. When she voted out Ari, 
my jaw literally dropped (laughs) when she threw the red signal to vote again and try to get rid of Ari and take the 250 instead of splitting the 125 and getting herself a win, which she's never gotten. Uh I was shocked and it was so satisfying. She is legit one of the greatest players and strategists in the history of reality television. I love her and I was so, so happy, even though it meant that two people I really, really liked didn't win. Yeah. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, well, we want to know what you think about the traders. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Stephen Thompson, Linda Holmes, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you for showing your support of NPR. If you haven't signed up yet and you want to show your support and listen to the show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Mike Katzif and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, come in, provides our theme music, which you are plotting to right now. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.